the Benefits Corner podcast. Thanks for joining us. With each episode, we'll be speaking with business owners, thought leaders, and top performers. Our goal is to provide our audience with interesting, relevant information as it relates to employee benefits, Canadian healthcare, and running a business. Now, we should say up front that the views expressed by our guests are not necessarily those shared by the Benefits Corner nor its host. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get started. Today's show is brought to you by Aria Benefits, modern advisors backed by experience and technology. Now here's your host, Robin Bailey. Hey folks, welcome back to the Benefits Corner. I decided to take the show on the road today and visit Parabellum MMA in Oakville to visit with Rory McDonald, who is one of the owners and head coach. And I've been looking forward to chatting with Rory as he's a longtime friend, training partner and coach. And uh, we've spent one heck of a lot of time on these mats uh, together. So I figured uh, this was long overdue. So quick bio on you, Rory, because you've got a really interesting background or resume. So Rory has been training and coaching combat sports for over 20 years. He wrestled during high school as well as university and won a national championship while in university. As he finished his wrestling career, he began to train in Krav Maga, boxing, kickboxing, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It was then that he decided to dedicate his life to the pursuit of martial arts. Rory earned his first pro MMA fight. And for my listeners that uh, don't understand that acronym, it's Mixed Martial Arts, in which you won that fight in an open tryout run by Apex MMA. He has fought professionally for over a decade, and all his wins in MMA came by way of submission. He was selected to travel to Afghanistan and put on the first ever MMA fight in an active war zone. And he has also been selected twice to represent Canada at the FILA World Championship for Nogi Grappling. He has his level 2 NCCP National Coaching Certification in Freestyle and Greco-Roman Wrestling, as well as in Boxing. Rory was awarded his Black Belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under the World Championship Daniel Valverde. And my fellow martial artists will understand what an accomplishment that is. Uh, The athletes Rory has coached have become national and international MMA champions as both amateurs and professionals and fought in the biggest MMA leagues in the world, including UFC, WSOF, and Bellator. He has coached provincial and national champions in wrestling and grappling. He has taught self-defense to prison guards, police, and military personnel, as well as high school and elementary students. He has worked with national championship hockey, baseball, and rugby teams, and Rory is a passionate coach with years of experience on the mat. So, awesome resume. I know it's a bit long for my that listeners. That was very thorough. Very, it's very, very thorough. thorough. But you've got such an interesting background that uh, I want to talk to you. So, welcome to the show, first of all. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rob. Glad to. Uh, glad uh, we've been able to do this. So, a lot of the time on the podcast, for, for my show anyway, Rory, it's, you know, I talk about employee benefits, right? The, you know, that's why I started started the show. That's that's my industry. But the show is also about starting and running a business and being an entrepreneur. In fact, a lot of feedback I've received is people saying how they enjoy hearing about other business owners' journeys mm. and their stories and how they get started and, and some of the challenges they face, that sort of thing. Uh, what's worked, what hasn't worked. So I was hoping today we could focus on some of the attributes and skills that I'm starting to recognize in a lot of successful business owners because I am starting to see some patterns among mm. the people I'm interviewing. So are you game? Of course, yeah. All right, sounds here interesting. We go. So as I said, we're at Parabellum MMA. Maybe we can start with, where did the name come from? So I've always had a, a deep abiding interest in history. I fell in love with Roman history in particular for a few reasons. I look at I look at Roman history as, as the bedrock of most of Western civilization. In fact, I've read some arguments where they say the Roman Empire never really did end. It just changed into what we are now living in. So I find it a fascinating way to, to help understand uh, the world that we currently live in. And I stumbled across a, an idea when I was reading Roman history. Uh, Parabellum literally translates to prepare for war, but it comes from a longer phrase, civis pacum parabellum, which means if you wish for peace, you must prepare for war. And the idea behind that is that Ronald Reagan in the 80s very famously said, nobody ever attacked the United States because they were too strong. Mm -hmm. If you're prepared, if you're ready for anything, it's very unlikely you'll ever have to fight. The process of preparation, I think, uh, uh, makes it much less likely to ever, ever need it. On the other hand, we've also got fighters that are absolutely going to fight and they are preparing for war. So the, the two ideas in Compass in that in that one phrase, I think, really represent what we're trying to get across here uh, at Parabellum. 
Well, two things as you're speaking. The first is it's not the answer you'd expect, and, and maybe not the the symbol. And, and for those listeners uh, who haven't seen the the symbol, it's it's a chess piece and one piece knocked over. Yes, and the, which, the two kings, which I think is very atypical for what you're maybe thinking of with a mixed martial arts team. You think of the emblem of you know a shark or or a, a pit bull. Pit bull is, is, or is the, typical, yeah, right? the brass so, knuckles. Uh, exactly. So it's interesting you went you went with that concept today, and I, and I love the name and, and where it came from. The other thing is I'm listening to you is I'm realizing that there are a lot of parallels between what you're talking about. And what I'm doing is I'm trying to run the business. Everything I do is about preparation. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of competition in my business. And I've never feared going into competition with another broker because I know to my core, I am, at least I think I am, I'm preparing more than you ever will. So that when I get into that meeting, my conversations go very easily. And there's, there's very little stress because I'm having such a great conversation with the client because I make sure I know all of my facts. um, I know what's happening in the industry and you're right, it doesn't become a fight at that point, mm. right? I absolutely agree. You know, it's funny, when I think about my own fight career, one of the ways that I dealt with anxiety when I was fighting, uh, if I'm nervous, I'm going to work harder, right? If I'm anxious about this fight, well, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to I'm going to do something to actually proactively address uh, that anxiety. And then by the time in the fight, I know I've controlled every single thing that I can control. And, and fighting is, there is an element of chaos in it, but you control as many variables as you can, and more often than not, things are going to go the right way and that that is the the core of my belief as a fighter as a coach and as and as a business owner you can control what you control you're as prepared as possible and the rest you just have to let go of i think that's why we get along really well because you know i know i will not never be the smartest broker out there or the or the slickest guy or the most well-dressed most of my clients know i'm showing up and, and <laughs> in a golf shirt and a blazer and that's for me that's really dressed up well you look but, sharp you look sharp but i will always outwork my yeah. competition i will always make sure i know everything for my clients i will be on top of trends and you know tomorrow i'll be uh, i'll be in buffalo as my wife wants to go shopping cross border and i will park myself in the food court and be working for four hours and yeah. i mean that's that's just what's important to me because i never want to be caught uh not knowing something or mm-hmm. not knowing something that i should i mean of course you're never going to know everything in business but i want to ca- try to keep on top of it as much as i can for clients so well you no. know what for for the, for the listeners that don't know you and i did train together for for, for many years time, yeah. and, and i recognize that in the way you approached training as well you were a hard worker and i'm this is not a criticism at all but but i'm, I'm not i'm not attracted to working with people that are the most talented person in the room right uh, i want to work with the people you're talking about me now right i am talking about <laughs> you and you you are you are talented but but it's uh, across the board and i don't care if it's a, if it's a hobbyist that's doing martial arts to get in shape and know how to defend themselves and protect their wife and their, when they're traveling. That's a, a, a absolutely a great yeah. reason to train. Or it's somebody that wants to, to get in the UFC. What I find compelling is somebody that shows up and does the right work, not somebody that's flashy and talented. That's everybody Everybody in here that wants to fight is talented in some way. It's the workers that are going to be successful, and they're the people that I want. Yeah, and, and you know, since we are talking about me and it's my show, we'll, we'll talk about me some more. But, you know, I, I found that when I stuck to fundamentals, when I didn't try to be flashy, everything that I learned worked really well. And it was only when I tried the things that just didn't make sense and got a little flashy and, and thought, well, I'm pretty talented here. And I ended up, you know, falling on my on my butt in those in those circumstances. So, you know, I uh, I don't I hate I don't hate having an athlete that overreach themselves a little bit. I think right. that is how you it, it is sure, how you grow. Sometimes yeah. you have to fall of on course. your ass to yeah. realize that you reached a little too far. Yeah. But but generally, yeah, the the framework is there. Okay, so I kind of have an idea where your tenacity came from, which you definitely need in business, by the way, with your wrestling background. And I thought to a lot of successful people with athletic backgrounds. Can you maybe talk to me about what you think, you know, your 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 time in wrestling, how it helped prepare you for running a business? Yes. There's two things that immediately jump to mind. One one is a, is a personal experience and the other is more of a, of a, a team or a corporate experience that I'll, that I'll describe for you. So... Wrestling, wrestling is without a doubt the hardest thing I've ever done. And I'm saying that as somebody that, that's, that's been punched and kicked in the face professionally. I've been knocked out in a fight. I've been in some dark, gritty places in fights. And wrestling is the hardest thing I've ever done. And doing that, making that decision every day to get up and do something that if you smash somebody in wrestling, you beat them up, it's still hard. 
it's still a hard sport to beat somebody up. So you're making that mental choice that I want this more than I want to be comfortable. I want to do this more than I want to, to rest and not feel beat up uh, and not get my ass kicked at half the practices that I go to. That, that was something that taught me how to prioritize what I want in my life versus being comfortable day day to day. So that's something that I've taken with me, not just in business, that's in my fight career, that's in how I interact with people, that's everything. That's a part of who I am. Uh, the second thing, when I was in when I was in high school, I was on a, on a very successful wrestling team, very, very successful wrestling team. Uh, we went on to win OFSA, which if your listeners don't know, that's the highest uh, level of competition that, that you can get to exactly. at a high school level yeah. in, in, in Ontario. And in my grade 11 years, somebody broke into our gym and, and set fire to it and our wrestling room burned down uh, we lost all of our mats the, my coach had set it up so it was almost like a museum so the walls were covered with newspapers and pictures and medals and everything was was destroyed and we sat down in January this had happened over the Christmas break we sat down in January and said so what do we do what do we do this year? Do we do we do we scrap the, the do we scrap the team and just try to, to rebuild, or do we do we try to do something with this? And everybody on the team said we want this right now. So we went to martial arts clubs. We went to other other teams. We found ways to practice anywhere that we could. I remember wrestling on grass, going outside and practicing on grass so that we could have practices. And we didn't win offset that year, but we got second at offset that year. And the message, as I would have been sixteen at that time, uh, that that adversity can 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 push you down. It can push you into a position where you want to stop or it could be something that drives you and I took that from from that experience and I and I look at adversity often as an opportunity as motivation as something that's going to push me to achieve not push me down that's you know that's that's incredible I'm getting I'm, I'm getting goosebumps as you as you're telling that story and uh, I don't have anything quite as dramatic and, <laughs> you know but when I talk to people people say well you know you look like you're successful and and, and of course to an outsider I guess there are appearances of that, but it, you'll know it yourself when you're running a business, especially in the first couple of years, you're terrified, <laughs> you're frustrated, Yeah. but there is something that everyone that I talk to, at least successful entrepreneurs, that keeps you going no matter what. So when you talk about basically everything being destroyed for that team and the fact that everyone said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do whatever is necessary, to me as an entrepreneur... And it's just so motivating. Yeah. And uh, if anybody out there is struggling and wondering why on earth did I venture down this path, just know there are other people that have done it. And you will see the the light at the end of the tunnel. It just sometimes it just takes more time than others. It will. Right? And and one of the things that that I that I learned is that when you overcome something like that, the success is more meaningful because it was hard, absolutely. right? You don't climb a mountain because it's easy. You do it because it's hard. And that's yeah. why it's valuable when you get to the top. Yeah. So there, there have been so many times over the years where I, I questioned and, and I, and I've probably quit a number of times to my business partners in private and, 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 vice, and vice versa. And you're right though. Now that we're 15 years in, we've just launched another brand with Aria benefits. It's very meaningful and it's very rewarding. And thankfully we're in a spot where we have fantastic clients. We get to enjoy what we're doing yeah. on a daily basis. So, I just while we're while we're talking about wrestling because that that was an unbelievable story. So, you graduate from Guelph as an accomplished wrestler, uh, along with a degree. Then what? So, mm. how do you go from I'm out of school? Most people are, you know, looking to get a corporate job and, mm-hmm. and, and benefits, and you know that that whole story about where people are going. Where do you go after school? How do you end up running Parabellum MMA with your partner? It was an interesting journey for sure. I had an English literature and, uh, and history degree in, in university, which, as you probably know, doesn't lead to immediate employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I looked at a few things. Uh, you know, in, in retrospect, I probably would have made a good teacher. I, I, I like coaching, and I like I think so. Yeah. I like sharing information. I probably, but at the time, it was like, you know what? That's a cop out. That's what people do when they when they don't know what else to do. And I looked at law school, and I had a professor that was uh, was really pushing me to to. to follow through on a master's and, 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 and go an academic route. I'd, uh, I'd done a, um, an undergrad thesis with him that he really, uh, really enjoyed. So I, 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 weighed, I weighed those options. And while I was doing that, I was also looking for something to compete in because wrestling was done and I am a competitive person. It is, I am not happy if I am not competing and striving and pushing every day. And Jeff Jocelyn, who's a, uh, a black belt, he fought in the UFC's Inferno. He really did impact my career a great deal, but he came to Guelph and essentially led me into MMA. And I remember going to my first 
jujitsu practice. And I knew I was done with wrestling. I knew, I, I said, this is, uh, wrestling is, uh, I love it. And I'm, and I, and it, and it did a lot for me, but jujitsu is the most interesting thing I've ever done in my life. It's the most interesting thing. It is an open-ended subject. I will study this for the rest of my life and I will never run out of things Absolutely. to learn. Like what a, what an incredible thing yeah. to be able to be a, a part of. Yeah. And that kind of Jeff was, was in MMA and I, like to fight, so that that led to the to the to the tryout, and uh, uh, Jeff gave me opportunities to to teach at his gym. So that's where you started teaching at uh, Jaws. The, the he had me teaching uh, some wrestling to, to his okay. guys, and it was kind of a trade off because I was doing construction work at the time. I had no money, so he said, "You know what? Don't worry about a membership. You teach a little bit for us, and you can train here as much as as oh, much okay. as you like." Good deal. Uh, it was it, it worked out great for me, and I love I really do love teaching. I love I love talking about this. I love sharing with people, uh, and that that led to more opportunities to, to, to teach. And so you go from teaching at Joslin's where do you go from there? Is it, did you jump right into opening Parabellum? No, no. I, I, actually, well, you, you and I met at, uh, at Evolution, I believe, that's right? right? So, that's so right. I was, I started training with Gerald, the owner of Evolution. He's a, he's a great Muay Thai coach. He yes. started giving me same, same type of situation. I'm going to help you with your Muay Thai. If you can help us develop an MMA program, a grappling program, we'll give you all the other things. If you can, if you can, uh, teach for us. And that was a fantastic opportunity because it allowed me to start learning how to build a program learning how to work with a spectrum of athletes because you were you were at that gym and some days I would have I remember I was telling somebody in the surgery remember Steve Skinner Yes, I do. Yes. So Steve, Steve, Steve was a former fighter of me, maybe the scariest looking human yes. being I've ever one met. One of the nicest also. Super nice yeah. guy, 6'4", covered in tattoos. Yes. Uh, you'd cross the street if you saw him, yes. but a sweetheart. But he was in the same class as a kid that weighed 110 pounds and had never been in a martial arts class. And I had to figure out how to run a class with these two totally yeah. disparate personalities body types it gave me a huge wealth of uh, of knowledge about how to teach uh it was a, a, a fantastic opportunity that the, that they gave me i'm really pleased that i was that i was able to do that that led to me wanting to do this on my own that's probably the entrepreneurial spirit that uh, that you and i share as well yeah, that that if i'm going to do this i want to i want to do it for myself i want to have the opp- opportunity to make decisions not just about how i teach a class but when those classes happen how often they happen uh how much we charge to have people be here like those those things are, are things that i want to be uh, a, a part of so so the next logical step was was opening parabellum and when you're doing that I'm sure there's fear because I know everyone I've talked to, there's fear, but how do you get beyond that? Like, what was the driving factor saying? This is something I have to do because I, I, I know you're a, a very well-educated guy. I, I think I agree with you. You would have made a great teacher, but there was something pushing you obviously mm. to the entrepreneurial side. So why didn't it stop it? Why, why did fear not come into play? Or I'm sure, so it, I'm sure I'm being, it did. I'm being perfectly honest. I didn't, I wasn't scared until about three months into opening the business. I was very excited. Okay. Like okay. I was like, this is going to be amazing. Yeah. I remember we opened, uh, we took possession of the gym in November okay. and we did about a month's worth of res- renovations. We started running some classes and I went back to, I went to high school in Milton. I went back to Milton and every single person that I talked to was like, Rory, this is fantastic. I'm going to be there January 1st. I'm going to be your first customer. And I went and talked to my business part of the time I said we're gonna be fine oh yeah like we've got all these people that are that are gonna be I'm like I'm not even worried and then about a month in January uh January rolled around none of these guys showed up nobody nobody that I knew uh showed up that were were my friends some of the guys that I had trained with in the past did but we had like five ten members in the first month and we needed 50 members to break even and I'm starting to think shit like this is uh this is a reality this is this is like we we have one month left uh, because we got a first three months rent free and then we're on the hook for for an amount of money that frankly we don't have so it, it there was uh there was some definite fear kind of you know, what, what's he like? You're cannonballing in it about halfway down. Yeah. You realize it was a little bit higher than you thought it was. Uh, so that freaked me out. But I know what I'm doing with this. I know what yeah. I'm doing with with this industry, and I just had to to, to trust that it was going to grow. But there's there there were definitely some scary moments in the first year. Yeah, and, and and like I said when we when we started down this path, you know, a lot of the people I interview, I'm hearing similar traits and similar patterns. And the one that resonates with me is. People just have belief in what they're doing. Mm. And I think that belief is stronger when you feel you're serving others. So I know when I, what I do, I've, I've seen mm. I've seen the value of 
and it's, it's unfortunately part of my job when someone passes away, you know, life insurance kicks in or dependent life kicks in when a spouse or a child, even worse, passes away. And those aren't the types of things you want to think about. But when you're being able to help a family in their time of need or someone is catastrophically ill and there's an $80,000 drug that needs to be covered. Yeah. You know, I know what I'm doing is providing value. And I think, and I think you would say the same on your side. I think so. There's been, there's been a few times and it's not always what I think people would expect. I love, I love being with a fighter when they win. That's very exciting. That's, that's glorious. There's, there's a lot to be said for it. But I also like when I have somebody, somebody come to me and say, I never, I never thought I could do this. I never, I never thought I would be, be capable of this. Uh, and you've shown me that I can be stronger than I ever thought, thought imaginable. I, I read a quote about jujitsu where they said the best thing about jujitsu is that it, it takes somebody that's strong and makes them realize they're maybe more vulnerable than they thought. And it takes somebody who's weak and makes them realize that they're more capable than they thought. And when I see that on the mat, when I see a, a shy 110 pound woman choke out somebody that I know can, can deadlift 500 pounds, what a, oh, what a feeling like that's, you really, you, you haven't figuratively empowered that person, right? That's not a, a bullshit phrase where you make them feel good about themselves. You have literally given them power and to watch them exert it is, uh, it's the best part of my job. It is the best part of my job. Well, it's funny you use that example because, you know, I'm a, I'm a purple belt in Brazilian mm-hmm. Jiu-Jitsu, so I've been, I've been trading for a long time. And I won't say your name unless you unless you want to say your name. But I remember with one of your one of your pro fighters, and I remember grappling her, and I'm 205 pounds, and she might she might be 130, 140 pounds, probably. Oh yeah. And I mean, she was giving me a run for the money <laughs> yeah. and the confidence, and I thought, oh my gosh, like if any, you know, I've trained for a long time. If, God forbid any anyone made a mistake and decides, well, I'm going to pick a fight with her. Yeah, you know, and and when you're when you're grappling or rolling as we call it with her, there's no malicious intent there. It's no. just it's just this is a matter of fact. And, she's, and if I she's get having the a great time, yeah, doing it. and we were having a great time. But I, in the back of my head, I thought, well, thank goodness I've trained as long as I have. Yeah, man, it, it it really is humbling when you start to say like, shit, this. 120 pound girl could break my arm. Absolutely. Uh, and that's not Easily. like, not like in a, not like in a, like it could happen. It's like, it might be happening right now. I have to, I have to deal with yeah. this. Yeah. No, I, I've always loved jujitsu for that. I'm just going to go back really quickly. Cause I've got to credit someone. You credit Jeff Joslin with your first uh, jujitsu class and you were hooked. Uh, for me, it was uh, Sil and Dan Maroney. Yeah, I know Way them well. back in the day, I opened up well. grappling arts Academy. They've since changed it for bravado, but it was just, the way it was taught, Sill and Dan both have a knack for, for, for teaching it, bringing it down very well, and uh, I was hooked ever since. And, and you're right, it's just one of those things um, that you'll never master. I mean, you can become very highly skilled at, uh, but it's such an open-ended book that yeah. it's continually evolving. I want to go back and ask you uh, specifically about challenges in, in two respects. You gave me a great example from your wrestling days mm-hmm. um, of facing a challenge or facing adversity and then you persevered. Is there an example from your pro fighting career where you thought, oh shit, I'm in trouble here. And then you fought through it and won. There, in, in, every, in every fight that I had, in every single fight that I had, there's a moment uh, or something happens where, where you're thinking, shit. I remember um, there's fights where I had just, just, the, just the fact that somebody's really trying to hurt you, mm-hmm. right? You spar with people and yeah, they throw, they throw hard punches and kicks. You're locked in a cage with somebody that every fiber of their being wants to hurt you. They're going to be paid for it. Everybody that they know and love in the world is there to watch them. They are really trying. That's uh, the first couple of punches. Like, shit, this is... This, this is, is real. This, is real. Yeah, this yeah. is real. And yeah, I've I've had I've had bad moments in fights. I ate a head kick that broke broke my nose uh, through like the, the the cartilage actually cut through the the, oh. the nose, um, and that happened in the first round of a of a fight. And I fought through and, and, and finished the fight. I lost the split decision. I still think I won it, but you know, sour grapes. Yeah. Um, but I but I was proud of the fact that I took that kind of damage, and it didn't feel good but it didn't phase me i've talked to the boys about this before too it's a it's kind of a darker part of fighting but you go into a fight knowing that you might not come back the same person right i think it's a little dramatic to say you, you could go in and die but that is at least on the table sure my last fight my the entrance song that i came out to i actually spoke about this on another another podcast uh, but it is something that's meaningful to me the the, the song is called brave man's death and the chorus is i don't want to die in the middle of the night i want a brave man's death and i needed to hear that going into the ring because i know there's going to be things uh, that happen in that fight that make me want to stop that make me want 
want to quit, but I am here for a brave man's death. I will show what I'm made of, win, lose, or draw, uh, and I'm going to leave it in the in, in the ring. So that was a component of, of literally every, certainly MMA, most of my my, my wrestling career, not so much jujitsu, but but wrestling is is gritty in the same way. So that's a, that's a just a component of the sport, I think. I asked you that question because I do think there are parallels between what you just explained and adversity or challenges you face in a business. So same question, but now with the business, with the business, yeah, so it's, I'm sure it's ev- not a, everybody has faced adversity with their business and challenges. So yeah. maybe an example. The the biggest adversity that, that I challenge you 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 know my my former business partner Jeremy Ennis yep. that relationship changed and I think our our view about about the the gym changed uh, and we were talking about this uh, before the podcast started a, a business partnership in many ways is is like a marriage and. We went our separate ways for a number of reasons. I, I respect Jer. I would not have what I have today if he hadn't been who he is and 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 did what he did in the initial part of this this business. I I, I could not have this, and I will always give him that credit. But our, our view about what this business was and and how we were going to contribute to it changed. And going through the process of 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 losing a business partner was like a divorce. And I and I had moments where I thought, do I do I want to do this? Like I'm I'm fighting tooth and nail for this. And, and, and like a divorce, it started out fairly amicable and got a little tense. And I had moments where I said, you know what, screw this. I will go back to school. I'll go get my master's. I'll go become a teacher. Uh, I'll go do something else. But the, but the process of working through this showed me how badly I want this, that I am willing to, to legitimately fight for this. I'm willing to be uncomfortable. I'm willing to, to sacrifice a lot of the other things in my life to, to make this work. And what happened, and when I came out on the other side of that with Lucas and Lennon as my partners, I was doubly committed to this. I knew that this is the right choice. I made a second choice to redo this. And that was the biggest adversity I've ever overcome in this business. And it was also one of the most motivating things that I've, that I've ever gone through in this business. Yeah. And and you're exactly right. A a partnership is like a marriage. You're always waiting for that first fight, right? (laughs) And uh, not a lot of people know this because it was early on, but, um, our first company, Life and Legacy Advisory Group, actually started with with four business partners. Mm. And uh, a couple of years in, we realized, and, and there's no animosity, the three of us, our vision was the same, and, and, and one, his vision had changed over time. Not right, not wrong, mm-hmm. it had just changed. And uh, we tried to fight through it uh, for a while, like like a lot of marriages we see. Yep. And um, you know, you try to stay together, but at the end of the day, we realized our vision is going a different direction, and uh, and we parted ways. And and it was the best. I, I I still hear from him in the industry, and it sounds like he's doing great. And of course, we've gone on to bigger and better great things. Successful so, things, of course. So you're right. I mean, it's just it's just one of those things that you sometimes have to deal with. And sometimes it is easier being a sole proprietor, mm-hmm. um, but when you do have partners, those are uh, some of the considerations you have to take into account. One of the things I value about having Lucas and Lynn, and I try to, I try to, to make a point of saying this every time I talk about the nature of our partnership, I respect those guys' work ethic like you wouldn't believe. I talked earlier about how much I respect people that, that work hard. I'm chasing these guys. Uh, these guys are, are here grinding every day. They are pushing to build something great, and it is exactly what I want, but I love having partners that I, I don't have to chase them out the door to get them to do work. I'm thinking about how I can keep up with the amount of output that, that, that they have. What a what a phenomenal environment to, to, to work in where I'm excited uh, and energized and motivated because because of the work that my partners are doing. Well, that was a question I had for you later on, but let's let's address it now um, because I've been asked the question. Uh, so I'm going to ask you: Why take on partners? So you had a divorce from your from your other partner. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you could have just said, "Hey, I'm very talented at what I do. I'm a great coach. I'm a great communicator. Why take on partners? Why mm-hmm. not just do it yourself?" Um, I think for me, and, and I don't know if this is true for, for everybody, but I do think I think it is important. I think as a leader, you have to recognize your strengths and you also have to recognize your, your weaknesses. And being able to, to recognize your weaknesses doesn't make you weak. It actually prepares you to, I think, be better suited in your role. So Lucas and Lyndon bring something to the table that, that, that I don't. Lucas is fantastic with kids. He's a fantastic striking coach. He's a fantastic administrator. He pays attention to details in a way that I just... 
don't. I like to think about big, big picture stuff. I've got big ideas. My head's in the clouds a lot of the time, and that's important too. But Lucas, day to day, gets his work done. Lyndon is is one of the greatest coaches I've I've ever I've ever worked with in any sport. He, I agree. He is, yeah. he is agree. brilliant. Uh, you know, I uh, the, the the things that he sees, the things that he talks about. I like listening to his classes. I li- like listening to, to to him work with other fighters because he's operating on a level two steps above where I'm at. And I'm not uneducated when it comes to fighting. I'm not like a civilian. I know what I'm looking at and I'm still, every time he speaks, I'm, I'm, I'm learning something. So bringing partners in has made this business not just not just two times better, ten times better. They're they're bringing things to the table that I just don't have, and if that contributes to to, to, to the vision uh, that I want, if that contributes to building something great, that's that's the only option. Uh, I, I'm I could not be happier with having these guys on board. So you're essentially the three little bears. We are the three little, three bears, little bears, the three the three amigos. Yeah. Well, you know, in in my practice as well, and and, and I'm smiling as you're as you're talking because it's the same decisions that I made early on in the business. I'm very good at benefits. Mm -hmm. I know benefits backwards and forwards, but I also did my education as a a certified financial planner. Okay. If I were to talk to you about financial planning, number one, you wouldn't enjoy it. (laughs) And neither would I. So early on I identified that's not my strength nor what I want to do on a daily basis. So I brought on partners and and right from the get go, we were a hundred percent equal partners working for the good of the client. And there have been years where each of us, because it goes in cycles, has to check their ego. Because sometimes one side of the business brings in more than the other. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. At the end of the day, we're serving the client. And you said it beautifully. It doesn't make you twice or three times as strong. It makes you ten times stronger. Mm-hmm. You know. So when we started the new brand, Aria Benefits, some outside people said to me, well, why are you starting that? You're the benefits guy. Why would you do that with your partners? Mm-hmm. And again, it comes down to, I think we're so much stronger together. Um, if I happen to be on a vacation with my spouse, I know 100%, I have 100% trust, Joe, Al, a member of the team is going to jump out and help that client without question. Yep. Right. So I think there's a lot of value in that. And I think, I think it does, it does keep your ego in check too. You know, I can think of a Lucas, Lucas started out of the business working for me. He, he, he was an employee when he first started and through years of hard work and, and just being outstanding, uh, I invited him into, into being a a partner. I can remember a boxing class that I was teaching. He was sitting on the side and he corrected uh, something and said, correct. He, he was absolutely right. And I had a, a big ego check where I had to step back and say, you brought him on board because he's smarter than you in a lot of ways. You brought him on board because he's very good at, at, at what he does. And he just pointed out an obvious flaw. And, and if I'm upset about that, uh, I'm not I'm not being a good leader, right? So I really do value surrounding myself with people that are better than me in a lot of ways. And, and Lucas and Lennon uh, absolutely are. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's it's what I look for in my team. I always I always say the real star of the show at, at my office is is Debbie who's uh, sitting at the office management <laughs> yeah. phones. She's ten times as smart as me. So if you want to if you want to get the right she's answer, she's the one to talk to. Yeah, she's the one to talk to. So I want to talk about the gym for a while. Okay, uh, Parabellum MMA. You know, we've talked about the name. So in a fairly short amount of time, Parabellum has become recognized as one of the premier destinations, not only for the average Joe wanting to learn self-defense, you know, get fit, that sort of thing, but also for top fighter prospects heading to the UFC and Bellator. So you've had several athletes compete at the highest level of sport. How have you done that in such a short period of time? Well, I think I think the, the, the short period of time is probably fairly deceptive. You know, I, I started in this in this industry essentially when i was 13 when i started when i started wrestling and a lot of the the connections that i made that young are still things that I, that I rely on. So our, our professional uh, wrestling coach, that sounds not like WWE, but the the wrestling coach for the professional fighters that we have is a guy named Chris Prickett. I met Chris Prickett when I was 13. We, uh, we, were, we went to the national championships in Edmonton together. And I remember he was a little 80 pound shit and he was trying to gain weight because he had to weigh at least 85 pounds oh, to compete. Geez. And I was cutting weight. So I'm sitting there sweating and he's trying to eat cheese and chug <laughs> water. Uh, but we've been friends ever since. We went to the same university 
university. And when I when I started the the pro team, uh, I said, what better asset could I use than Chris, who is who's uh, an Olympic caliber wrestler. He was uh, on the Olympic team. He's the assistant coach of Brock, which is the best wrestling program in the country, bar none. Uh, and so he comes in and, and works with our fighters. So that's the, that's networking from from years ago. Uh, Lyndon, myself, we met training, and we have a lot of fighters that we trained with over the years that that, that came here. Guys like Josh Hill that are unbelievable fighters. Josh has only lost twice in his career to the same guy who is probably the number one or number two bantamweight on the face of the earth. And he's fought in the UFC. He's fought in the UFC. Okay. He's fighting in Russia right now because they pay extremely well, but I would like to see him in the UFC because we've talked about this before. Money is great. This is maybe the worst part about me as a business owner. I don't really care about money. I care about bigger things. I want Josh to fight the best guys in the world. I want to know what that's like for him. I want to. I want a game plan against the best guys in the world. How, how exciting is that? Mm-hmm. So the, the the networking that we've done over the years, I, I think uh, an attention to detail from from the coaches and a and a and a, a well defined process is what has been the secret to, to our success. And those things aren't uh, any more or less important than the others, but it, it, it is creating an environment where we are we are putting out some extraordinarily talented athletes extraordinarily talented successful athletes it's uh, it's humbling in some ways to see what these guys are capable of you mentioned process um, and I want to dig a little bit deeper into that because I think a lot of business owners like myself we try to create as much process as possible because ideally as a business owner I want to be able to leave the office go on vacation and I know I have the support of my business partners looking after things but ideally, whether it's me going on vacation or eventually retiring out of the business, I would like to have a process in place that says, from the first point of contact with a, with a prospect or client, here's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So that I know from A to Z that client is going to be looked after no matter what and no matter by who, what, what staff member is looking after that. Walk me through a young you know, guy or girl that walks into Parabellum and says, I have aspirations to fight professionally one day. That process, A to Z, mm. walk me through a bit of that, what that looks like. Well, I agree that the process is extremely important. One of the things that I think about is you want success to be replicable, right? You don't want it to be random. You don't exactly. want it to just happen. You want to say, okay, this worked, so let's do this this more. So if somebody walked in, ideally, I would like to start with somebody 14 or 15 year, years old. Okay. We would start them here uh, doing the jiu-jitsu classes, the boxing classes, and, and the Muay Thai kickboxing. Lucas is the head boxing coach. Lennon's the head Thai coach. I'm the head jiu-jitsu coach. All of our programs are geared with the ultimate idea of being oriented towards MMA. So the boxing stance is going to be more similar to a kickboxing stance because we don't want to compromise that that uh, uh, position. Uh, the Thai uh, uh, classes are going to address sometimes things like takedowns and clinch work and, and what happens in those environments. And in my jiu-jitsu classes, I will talk about positions to control and strike uh, the way you would in, in MMA. For a younger athlete, I would get them competing as often as possible in grappling-oriented competitions. You're going to get all the anxiety of a, of a real fight with none of the damage. You're not going to get punched or kicked in the face. You're not going to take any brain trauma, but you're going to deal with things like weight cutting. You're going to deal with with things like uh, uh, competition day jitters, and you're going to inoculate yourself to those uncomfortable feelings so that when you are competing somewhere really meaningful, you've been here a thousand times. It's the process that you know and, and understand. The next step would be uh, starting to get the, these kids sparring probably around 17, maybe 18. Uh, Lynn's got a lot of contacts with Muay Thai smokers. Uh, a smoker, for, for your listeners, is like a fight but light right it's okay. a little bit uh, yeah. there, there would be no winner or loser at the end but you're sparring hard in front of a crowd so you get to deal with again fight day jitters fighting in front of a crowd getting punched and kicked but not with really malicious intent the overriding goal of these smokers is to keep all the fighters safe and get them experience the next step would be an amateur kickboxing fight the next step beyond that uh, still competing in jiu-jitsu would be putting that together in an amateur MMA event and one of the things that we're really fortunate uh, MMA has has started to create some of these processes as well so amateur MMA has a graduated system where your first three fights there's no head kicks there's no knees to, to the head there's no punching a grounded opponent so you're essentially doing kickboxing with wrestling and then on the ground you're doing jiu-jitsu so we're getting all the elements of MMA but with a uh, 
a, a lower level of danger and risk. And what all this does as well is it gives an athlete the ability to look at this and say, is this for me? Do I like these feelings? Do I like this, this constant pressure? Because one of the things, when I retired, one of the things that I really missed about fighting is the filter that every decision goes through. Right? If you're fighting, every choice that you make in your life is filtered through this one narrow idea. Does this help me win a fight? What do I eat tonight? What do I drink tonight? Do I go hang out with these people? Do I go to bed early? Uh, am I going to read today or am I going to go for a run? I like that intensity of, uh, of a choice. Some people feel claustrophobic and will rebel against uh, that kind of focus. And we're not going to lose anything valuable in that spectrum if it's not for them. Once they've done this for four or five years, they have all this competition experience under their belt. We'll put them into a pro fight. And at that point, you are as prepared as you possibly can be. And the the, the, the stats show that we're onto something. We have a 90% win rate. I don't generally like to throw that around. I've done the stats for the past three years. Amateur fights, pro fights at every level. We are winning 90% of the time. And in MMA, that's unheard of. That's unheard, That's unheard That's of. For a lot of teams, this comes down to a coin toss. It's a 50-50 win-loss record. We're at 90%. So I know when I'm studying the data, I'm studying the information, the processes are successful and we can take some of the guesswork out of it. And of course, we're going to tailor things to personalities sure. and skill sets, but the big picture stuff is there uh, and it's working. That's that's really impressive, and we're talking about pro fighters, obviously here, or aspirations of well, pro fighters. Be. But let me let me ask you a question. I heard you speaking on. I don't know who runs it. Uh, the host. Uh, I know it's called Championship Lifestyle. Uh, it's Adrian. He's Adrian Vlack is one of our pro fighters. Fantastic podcast. Oh, I love listening to it. And I heard you talking about. I think it was on that podcast because I do enjoy that one. And you were saying, let's say I'm a, I'm a 14 year old young guy coming in. Even if my aspirations are not to fight professionally you are going to teach me the same way Yep. to defend myself. Yep. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I've been to gyms where, you know, uh, a pretty girl comes in. Uh, and so the trainer is going to show her all sorts of fancy spinning kicks because they look good sure. and they'll look cool on Instagram. That will get that that person hurt. This isn't theoretical for me. I, I'm not here to, to, to show off all the cool things that I know. I am here to get people prepared for war. Uh, and I mean that literally. I want people – if. If somebody took one of my classes and then went out onto the parking lot and got to a fist fight in the parking lot today, something that I taught should help them, right? There should Absolutely. be there there should be no horseshit theory. This should be as as, as real uh, as possible. And I would train a seventy five year old grandmother in her first class the same way I would train an eighteen year old D one wrestler uh, coming to his first class. You are getting uh, the reality here. That's 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 all that we care about. Not the flash. Uh, not showing off. You are getting what will work. What will win fights and it isn't theoretical we've all fought everybody that coaches here has fought and we deal with people that are fighting so everything that we show we're held accountable for right if it doesn't work our fighters are going to get hurt and they're going to lose so everything we show there is a responsibility on our shoulders to make sure that this is real and i take that very seriously i'll speak from personal experience because you and i have trained together for for a number of years mm -hmm. and i've been fortunate to to train with you know a few coaches over the years that have that really instilled a confidence in me. And I, and I think that's one of the things that if our listeners, you know, perhaps have kids that are wondering about, I think that's one of the, to me, one of the biggest gifts that martial arts has given me is, is confidence. And without having to use, you know, we just talked about the scenario where you're going out in the parking lot and someone attacks mm -hmm. you, you have to mm -hmm. defend yourself. I've been able to walk away from situations and deflate situations knowing fully well and I could see in my mind exactly what would happen. But because I have that confidence in my ability, I've been able to walk away because there's no need to prove anything. Mm. And that's such a good feeling for a kid that grew up until grade 11, very tiny. I mean, people listening to this that went to high school with me, no. And it was such an awful feeling, mm. feeling afraid and being smaller than everybody. And it's what drew me to jujitsu because it does level the playing field, which we talked about, you know, like Robin uh, on the mats. <laughs> yeah. You know, for a smaller, less aggressive person to be able to control that bigger, stronger aggressor. So I've always liked that. It's funny. I, I, I was reading something the other day. You know, I you know I like I like history, and I especially like mm -hmm. combat history. So I was reading about duels, and duels are a really interesting subject. There's there's all sorts of different cultural impacts on how duels are fought and why and what they mean. But I read a book that that said 
generally speaking, dueling takes place in countries that do not have confident, well-defined masculinity. That it happens in in countries where where the masculinity is is vulnerable, and so there's a need to protect. Uh, your honor. There's a need to maybe fight to the death over some trivial thing. But if you're confident in who you are, if you're confident in what you do, you don't need to fight some jackass on the street to, to, to make yourself feel better. In fact, that's not even interesting because you've trained with killers. That's right. You come in every day and train with people that know what they're doing that are dangerous. So who cares about this jackass flipping you off at, at, at a red light, right? I think, I actually really do believe this. The more often you are exposed to this, the less likely you are to want to do it anywhere else. I think that, it, that, that that people that fight it comes from from a place of weakness. Uh, people that fight on the street, I mean, uh, it comes from a place of weakness, not a place of strength. I've always said every young guy should step on the mats in jujitsu and maybe entering uh, into a, a boxing sparring match. Yep. And there'd be a lot less. I want to. I want to say the right word, but um, less silliness. Yeah. out there. Let's, yeah. let's put it that way. A that's a, that's a, a very of, nice way, nice way of, of putting a lot of facilities because it is incredibly humbling to step on the mats, especially with someone who's lighter than you, yeah. doesn't look the part. Somebody that looks like, an, like a video game nerd or right. an IT guy that weighs 115 pounds that will ruin your life. Exactly. So you mentioned you, you like history. So uh, I've got a question that I've been kind of saving toward the end for this because I know I know there's going to be a good answer on it. You're one of the most well-read guys I know. If I go onto your Facebook, I think your I think your profile picture or your what do they call it a banner picture? Yeah, as you know, some of the books that you're reading, and you just posted some some other book you're reading now. What are the one to three books? That you've read or are reading that have great greatly influenced your life or why? That's such a that's such a tough question. Yeah, I read uh, I read a quote the other day from Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, "I can't remember the books that I read any more than I can remember the meals that I've eaten." But nonetheless, it made me who I am, and I and I feel like that with with books. I've read, I have read a lot, so I'll talk about some books that I've read recently because I think that 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 can be impactful. So I read a biography of Alexander Hamilton. There's the the play that they have out, and I actually heard uh, the main song from that play. Oh, and yeah. It's like from the point of view of Aaron Burr, who who shot him in a duel. So why I actually started reading about duels was 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 this book. But it's a fascinating book. It really gives some insight into. The modern U.S. political scene, certainly, but but what I find interesting about it is you're reading about men who are inventing the world that they're going to live in, right? They, they've, they've overthrown the, the British government, and then there's years of debate about how we're going to build this society that we want to live in, how we're going to create the world that we're going to live in, and the values that they discuss, the foresight in, in what potentially could could come up down the road, is uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's deeply, deeply interesting. One of the interesting things things, just as like a, a, a trivia, they discussed having a king. They discussed having a monarch in the United States of America. And oh, thinking about wow. that today is is mind-boggling. King George I, George Washington, was something that was was seriously discussed. Uh, and there's there's this, this tension uh, between a far-right conservatism and a far-left liberalism in these debates that I just find fascinating. It's a really, really interesting book. It's a little bit, there's some dry parts, but I mean, there's also lots of duels. Uh, Alexander Hamilton was very contentious. <laughs> so he fought uh, to the death over political beliefs because they really did see this as creating the world. Uh, it's the same reason I've been deeply invested in the French Revolution. I find these formative moments incredible. Um, so I would recommend that certainly to anybody okay. that has an interest in even understanding modern U.S. politics. I think that's a good place to, to start the constitutional debate that, that went on in the late uh, 18th century. And then the second book is a novel uh, by Somerset Mom, And it might be one of the most compelling novels I've ever read. It's called Of Human Bondage, and it's not a about bondage. It's uh, the, the idea of bondage is the societal role that we're forced to live in, the biology that we're forced to live in, the, the, the world that we're forced to live in. You are bound on all sides by things that are, that are outside of your control. And one of the reasons I like the, the book, and one of the reasons I like fiction as well, I know a lot of people are hard on nonfiction, and I love nonfiction too, but there are truths in that, in that book that transcend fact. There's one line where he says, like all weak men, his uncle put an unreasonable stress on never changing his mind. And I immediately, I know that, I know that person. I know people like that, that because they're weak, they're going to stick to this no matter what, that, that the idea of showing that they might have been wrong is too much for them. Now, that's a, that's a deep 
truth. There's another one where he's talking to his stepmother and he says, I, I you know, I, I hate you. Uh, I've always hated you uh, because you're not my real mother. And he sees her heartbreak and he goes over and he apologizes. And, and the last line in this chapter, he said, she loved him with a deeper love because he had made her suffer. And again, what a, what a profound truth, because I've felt that and I have seen that happen where you are more connected and more invested in somebody that's, that's, that's made you suffer, not less. So there's, there's some, some real truths. The story itself is, is, is wonderful. I love, I love the novel, but, but it's something that I find myself thinking about when I'm driving. I find myself going back and reading some of these passages that, that, that were meaningful for a book that was written a hundred years ago. It's very, very pertinent and very readable. I know sometimes, you know, you go back and try to read Charles Dickens, you know, like, uh, and get lost in the language. This book is very approachable. So Somerset mom of human bondage and the, the biography of Alexander, Alexander Hamilton are kind of the last two books that I read. And I would, wholeheartedly recommend them to, to anybody. Well, it's, it's interesting that you brought up, and, and I love I love the second book that you talked about. So it sounds fascinating. But it's interesting you brought up Hamilton because my wife and I are recently in New York City, mm-hmm. and we wanted to see some Broadway shows. So we ended up seeing Wicked, and we saw Aladdin. And the reason why we saw those shows were, I would say, I would deem them as, as affordable. Yeah. And when we looked into the pricing for Hamilton, I think it was $800 a ticket. Oh. But what I will do, what I what I found out, what I found out after the fact, and I'll share this as, as advice for people: if you're heading to New York City, when you get there, there's an app for all the Broadway shows. Yep. And what Hamilton does, I think all the shows actually do it, but Hamilton will be become really important. They do a lottery every day. You can enter as many times as you want. It's all online, and if you win, the tickets are fifteen dollars. Oh, awesome. So I was talking to a number of people that I met in New York City, and they'd said they had won. And of course, they're not bad seats. They're great seats. But it's a way to make sure Broadway decided, listen, this this can't just be for people who can afford it. We've got to make this accessible to, mm. to the mass marks and, and people that wouldn't necessarily be able to see our show. And I thought it was a fantastic idea that I hope to see it come to Toronto, actually. Yeah. So if anyone's in New York City... Hit the lottery, you never know. Maybe your number will come up. And the story is fantastic, and the music. I, you can you can listen to the music on, on YouTube, and it's I, this book is six or seven hundred pages long, and it's very in depth. Listening to the songs, I'm like, he nailed that. He nailed the, the the first song in the in the performance is three or four minutes long, and he nailed the first two hundred pages of that book. And it's wow. and it's like that's fantastic. He, it really is. I'd, I'd say uh, worth listening to at the very least. All right, very good. So. So far, Rory, you've been my longest podcast. So I tend gonna, to be long-winded. I we're, apologize. We're going to start to wrap it up. So how do people get in touch with you if they want to find out more? They want to talk about uh, history. They want to try out the, oh, try I would, out You know jiu-jitsu. what? I, I feel like uh, I joke with Lucas and Lennon. Uh, it's like a bear attack where I come in and I want to talk to them about something and they're trying to get away and you just kind of have to wait for it to be over because yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm going to talk about this. So if anybody wants to, I'd be delighted. That'd be a nice change of pace. So how do they get in touch with you? Um, so we've got uh, the, the website is parabellummma.com. Okay. Uh, all of our contact information is on there. We've got a Facebook page, Parabellum MMA, and uh, Instagram, Parabellum MMA as well. There's lots of interesting uh, content. You can follow our fighters. And all three of the, the partners kind of are involved with the social media, so we'll all, we'll all respond. Okay. If you have questions about fighting, if you have questions about history, I'm probably the only one that will respond. But I, I, would love to, I would love to get something like that. <laughs> okay, good stuff. Okay, friends, really enjoyed the conversation here today, and I hope you did as well. Be sure to check out our website. There's always something cool going on there. We post all the podcasts up there as well, www.ariabenefits.ca. If you need to reach me, I'm at rbailey at ariabenefits.ca, or join the conversation on LinkedIn. We'll see you next time on The Benefits Corner.